Hey, what's up, everybody? On today's uh, podcast, the Raw Knuckles podcast, uh, we have Mike Santos going to join uh, Tim and I. Mike, um, there's not much he hasn't done in hockey. Uh, he started back in uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, north of Boston. He went to Boston College, uh, <clears throat> tried out for the varsity team there, um, did not uh, make that team, ended up coaching women's hockey there, went down to New York, worked for the NHL head offices, uh, worked as assistant general manager for the Islanders, for the Panthers, um, the New Haven Nighthawks, uh, and also the Norfolk Admirals. There isn't much he hasn't done in hockey, but you got to tune in to see what he's doing now. He has a, um, a website called Team 33. It's a, um, a scouting website, management website, where you can go in, um, find all the uh, recent uh, analytics on every player in the NHL, every player who's been drafted. Uh, a couple of National Hockey League teams are using it, Montreal and um, Anaheim. Uh, and uh, other teams are looking to um, certainly uh, get this program for their organizations. Uh, another great tool Team 33 could be used for is guys who play fantasy hockey, stuff like that. Uh, you can get breakdown of players, uh, comparables, uh, so many things. It's a really interesting <clears throat> and informative website, no question about it. Mike is kicking it off the ground and uh, real interesting story. Check us out, uh, Raw Knuckles podcast and uh, good friend Mike Santos joining Tim and I coming up. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles podcast. Please like, follow and subscribe. And uh, interviewed in the office then, uh, John Ziegler was the, the president of the league at that time. And uh, I was offered an internship for uh, $10 a day, plus wow. commuting. Wow. And wow. Um, yeah, it was- Sounds was like the NHL. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. in those days. You were overpaid. Yeah. <laughs> when I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> Good to have you. Welcome to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Uh, Mike Santos, Tim Stapleton, and Knuckles. Um, Mike, great to have you, pal. Listen, um, you have quite the resume. Uh, grew up, um, born in Boston, grew up around the Lowell area, home of um, the great Mickey Ward. Um, and um, you, um, how'd you... Let's just say, how'd you get um, the bug for hockey? Because, boy, um, you've done it all when it comes to hockey. Um, well, thanks, Chris and Tim. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think probably you can relate to this as much as anyone, Chris. Anyone that was born in Boston in the 60s or 70s and has anything to do with hockey in their life today has Bobby Orr to thank for that. And, um, you know, uh, growing up, born in Boston, growing up in the area, 
Uh, there was nothing like a Sunday night with WSBK TV 38, right? Yeah. And the whole family around the, uh, in some cases in my house, at least in the early days, a black and white TV. <laughs> um, yeah. With the watch, rabbit ears. With the rabbit ears, right? Uh, to yeah. watch what I think uh, at least Bostonians will say the greatest hockey player ever. And um, so anybody that, that grew up in that time that didn't have the bug um, to play, to coach, uh, or just being involved, involved in the game at any level um, would be lying to you because uh, he was uh, he was the reason. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, even our, you know, our families, our, our grandmothers loved Bobby Orr. So. Yeah. Did you get Everybody. a chance to see him in person, like play it live? I did. Um, I did. Um, probably like Chris, um, the old Boston Garden, um, which is uh, uh, something that, uh, you know, I think we hold dear to our heart as, as Bostonians in that era. Used to be used to sit between the Madison Hotel on one side, which is where all the visiting teams would stay, and on the other side uh, there was a bank. I won't tell you what was across the street. Chris knows what was across the street. Mm -hmm. but, uh, there were some other establishments yeah. there. Yeah. Anyway, um, and uh, I don't know who the security people were in those days, Chris, but. Uh, they had to know that there were hundreds of us kids that would sneak by that security guy at the bank, go run up the stairs and in through the little Zamboni gate. The, uh, the elephant into, walk, right? Yeah, the elephant, yeah. the elephant, the bridge that went from the building to the, there was an right. office building on the other side and yeah. there was a, um, like a, a, a skyway or a walkway from the office building to the Boston garden. So if you could get into the office building in the garage area where the players park, <clears throat> then you could cross that, that little bridge and then you were faced with security. So, and, um, you know, right in the building and probably like everybody, uh, during warmups, we'd be there for warmups and, uh, we'd start at the loge and slowly as we got kicked out of seat by seat, uh, and section by section, we'd end up in the gallery god section in the upper balconies to watch uh, to watch the game. But um, yeah, so many times I had a chance to uh, to meet Bob Yore. And an interesting thing that I still get razzed about from my my buddies in Boston is um, there was a, a contest back in the day. It was uh, mini one on one, uh, and uh, started. And I actually. Um, was uh, represented my youth hockey team and uh and i won the mini one-on-one competition it was a penalty shot competition for yeah. youth hockey players and they had every different age group i think i was about seven or eight at the time and um but the 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 win the winner got a trip to uh bobby orr and mike walton's hockey camp in, in aurelia ontario that's right. That's right. Geez. And Ooh. I always wanted to go to that camp and my parents couldn't <laughs> afford it. And, yep. and I never went to mini one-on-one. -on -one. So anyway, <laughs> I, um, I, I was fortunate enough to win the, to win the trip. Um, and I was too young to go to the camp. So they gave my parents the money uh, so that when I was old enough, I could go to the camp. And I think it was two weeks. Well, lo and behold, the next summer, I get a call from this guy. His name is, never forget his name, Steve Stotland. 
from Montreal. And he ran Yvonne Cornwaye's camp. <laughs> and he said, hey, would you like to come to the Roadrunners hockey camp in Montreal? It was on now, the how'd that Coast. come about, though? All of a sudden, this I, guy calls you to... I don't know, but somebody must have known somebody and found yeah. out that maybe they were in competition with Bobby's camp at the time. Anyway, they offered me the opportunity to go to the uh, to the camp on the West Island up in Montreal. It was at uh, McDonald College, a C Jeff yeah. Island. It still is right now. up the street from me. Yeah. Um, so I went, <laughs> I used the money, and I went and uh, I've told that story to Bobby. Uh, from time to time when I've seen him over the years. But anyway, um, I went to that camp and uh, had a chance to meet, of course, the Roadrunner. But then uh, Steve Shutt was there and Mo Robinson, not Larry, but Mo Robinson yeah. was there. Uh, Joe Lupian, who became uh, almost a lifetime friend uh, for me because he was later in the agent business. And a number of guys that, that, that played for the team uh, at the time. So... So I started to follow the Canadians as a youngster. And of course, every time they come into the garden, I'd be, uh, I'd be there, you know, trying to chase them from the hotel and still have some great friendships with that team. So you became a Habs fan. So I became a Habs <laughs> fan. Yeah. Good for you. Wait, you won a penalty shot contest? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. They used to have these what was the move? Like you couldn't be, was it just fake shot five? Yeah, hole? It, like, what it, was the it, move it, back then? It was actually, um, they, they helped, like they would select, uh, you would have a little competition with your youth hockey team and they'd select, you know, the goalie and the shooter from that team. And then they had different uh, youth hockey programs from around the state of, uh, of Massachusetts, maybe even later in New England, you know, and um, they brought you down to, uh, to uh, the garden and uh, they had a competition. It was like a round robin tournament. And you got three, each team got three shots. And so you had three shots and whoever won went on to the next round until you, until you got a winner. And I, I think there was probably at least eight teams. So I think we had to win like three rounds to, uh, to win it at the garden. And uh, you're enough. Funny stuff. So you play youth hockey and, you know, up in, in Lowell, and then you work your way high school hockey and um, you end up going to Boston college. Um, what was your time at BC like? Because, boy, that team and that school certainly was stacked. And um, you're trying to make a hockey team that um, has a whole lot of potential NHLers on it. Where did you fit in that whole group? Um, I didn't, Chris, <laughs> which, is <laughs> okay. what, which is what uh, sort of, you know, sort of, you know, changed my direction. But, um, but you're right. I, I got to BC at a time when, you know, there were so many talented players, uh, you know, in Massachusetts in particular. And the unique thing about BC at the time is uh, there were no Canadian players. Um, all the players were essentially from the Boston era, area. That was, uh, that was, you know, Snooks Kelly, the old coach at BC. He was from Cambridge, Mass. He was a BC guy. And, uh, and that's what he wanted. He wanted a program that was for the, for the Boston area kids. Um, like everybody else, um, you know, the goal really as a Bostonian growing up was to play college hockey. And, uh, and you know, there were a lot of great programs uh, around the area, but, you know, none like BU, BC, Northeastern, and Harvard, right? I mean, the Beanpot schools. And so, 
you know, like everybody else, my interest was was to go there. I was a, I was a decent high school player. I played four years of varsity hockey in high school. But uh, but then you arrive on a campus with players that have, you know, whether it's uh, Bob Sweeney or or Brian Leach or my roommate, Ken Hodge. Um, Kevin Stevens. Kevin Stevens. I mean, these aren't guys that just went on to uh, to play professionally. These are guys that had long, you know, NHL careers and, uh, and, and in some cases, Hall of Famers. So um, I had, uh, had the opportunity then to switch gears, um, and I started coaching the women's team on campus. At BC. Now, BC. how many years – at that point, was women's hockey at BC? Didn't it just kind of start around it started, the 80s? Yeah, it started maybe three or four years, uh, five at the most, before I came on campus. It was primarily a, you know, a club-level program around the country. Yeah. Um, you know, Northeastern had a very strong program in those Always, days. Always, right? Always University of New Hampshire. But it certainly wasn't anything like it was today. Yeah. Um, but it was great. Uh, and, you know, my – my roommates were all uh, were all off and uh, involved with the varsity team, and uh, and so uh, I had the opportunity to, you know, to stay with the hockey thing and uh, and pursue it through college. So you never played any games at BC? No, no. And not who was the coach then? Was it Lenny? It was Lenny. Yeah, Lenny Siglarski. Okay, so Lenny was coach. So you didn't play any games, and you decided, listen, I'm going in another direction. You coach women's hockey. You, you you coach there, you graduate from BC, and then where does uh, Mike Santos go from there? So, um, you know, after college, like like so many guys, um, except for my roommates who are all going to training camps, um, you know, what do you do now? So um, obviously I had a love for the game, and um, what I did was I started to send letters and resumes, although there wasn't much on the resume, around to uh, NHL clubs and uh, and the league office. And I received a response from the NHL office in New York asking me if I would be interested in uh, coming down for an interview. And I I think I received one other positive response from Pittsburgh. Um, But but anyway, I – Richie Folks, an old Hockey East referee from Southie, who you probably know, Chris, yeah, was uh, yeah. an Amtrak engineer. So he got he got me on the Amtrak, and I went down on a Friday to New York and uh, interviewed in the office then. Uh, John Ziegler was the, the president of the league at that time. And uh, I was offered an internship for uh, $10 a day plus wow. commuting. Wow. And wow. um, yeah, it was sounds was like the NHL. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. in those days, you were overpaid. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was a Friday afternoon, and they uh, uh, they asked me when I could start, and I said Monday. <laughs> so I left there and uh, found a payphone and called my mom and told her that uh, I had taken an internship in New York, and she said, "Well, what are you going to do now?" And I said. I don't know. <laughs> I had the only suit I owned on that I was wearing. And uh, I spent the weekend in the Port Authority bus terminal, Chris, which I'm sure you're familiar with on 42nd, yeah. and, 42nd and 8th Avenue. And I can tell you, Tim, that uh, the Disney store wasn't around the corner at that time. Uh, no. 
Port Authority. But I, I stayed there for the weekend and and found my way to some contacts and somebody who knew somebody who had a cellar that they would rent that had actually had a a bathroom in it with a sink and a shower and a toilet. And uh, I rented that out for the year. Um, bought actually bought a cot at a yard sale and a sleeping bag. And that's where I lived for a year. Um, but the other thing I did uh, that Monday right away is I contacted the Islanders, the Rangers and the devils. And the, all three of them allowed me to, uh, to work game nights. So uh, while I worked game nights, I would do stats at different games and sometimes help the visiting broadcasters. Uh, they paid me usually about 30, 35 bucks a game. I'd get a free meal in the press room. And it really gave me an opportunity to, uh, to network and meet a lot of folks. And I, I, that was 80, 88, 89, which I believe you were with the Rangers that season. Yeah, Chris. I was. Yep. Yes, I that's was. When, that's when Knox was old, right? Uh, old and- um, that's when I was old. No question about it. If you're like me and you're going to play some golf this summer, you have to check out this hidden gem. Windmill Heights sits atop the beautiful hills in Notre Dame de Old Perot. They have affordable rates and they offer customized membership opportunities for all levels. If you want to book a tee time, call 514-453-7177. Hit them straight. If you love your pet like I love my St. Bernard Adele, you'll want to feed them a balanced, biologically appropriate raw diet. The reason I've chosen Formula Raw is because all blends of their food are locally sourced and they consist of exclusively human-grade meat and organs, as well as fruits and vegetables. And all products used are hormone and antibiotic-free. So like I said, if you love your pet like I love Adele, you choose Formula Raw. Make sure you go to FormulaRaw.com and use the promo code RAWNUX at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. That's Raw Nux. R-A-W-K-N-U-X. Uh, you go back to the NHL, uh, work uh, in uh, New York from 91 to 97. So mm-hmm. when you're working there, the NHL, you, you know, you go, you went to law school while you were there uh, at St. John's University School of Law uh, at night. You get your law degree. Now, was that all like in the plans to at some point maybe get into a front office job like you did uh, with the Islanders? Um, I hope so at the time. Um, it, it didn't happen exactly that way or maybe as how it, I would have planned it. Um, but um, during my year at the NHL, I obviously wasn't making any money. Uh, but I was I was really meeting a lot of great people. One of the people I met was Pat Hickey, former former Ranger, Maple Leaf, yeah. um, and um, he had become the uh, general manager in New Haven of the American Hockey League team. Uh, that was actually again another part of uh, what happened when Gretzky was traded to L.A. Uh, Bruce McNall. Uh, actually, and the Kings bought the New Haven Nighthawks. That was their AHL affiliate. Um, interesting thing, too. I, um, I've, I've had the uh, interesting uh, experience of working for, I believe, the only three NHL owners who 
went to jail. <laughs> yeah. uh, they got hosted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bruce McNall, who owned the Kings, and then uh, John Spano with the Islanders and and uh, Booth Del Biagio with the Predators. So uh, I, I certainly had some experiences there. But um, so I spent a couple of years uh, working in the American Hockey League in New Haven, which, again, was a great experience for me. Um, you know, Tim, uh, I, I think you can relate to this, too. I mean, it's not, not just players that develop there, but because at that level, the office staffs are so much smaller. I mean, you really get to learn a lot of different things and, and get involved in a lot of things that maybe you're not involved in at the bigger level. So uh, I had two great years there, uh, really interesting years there. And, um, and then the NHL uh, contacted me and offered me a position to come back for, for them. Uh, something that had started while I was there in, in 89, they were planning the uh, change the NHL All-Star game from uh, a game to an NHL All-Star weekend. And I was part of that initial group when this all the planning was going on that created things like the uh, the Super Skills Challenge, uh, what was then the Heroes of Hockey game, um, and, and did all these things that, that took the NHL All-Star game and really turned it into a, an event that, uh, that they could create uh, sponsorship around and create more revenue. And so when they, they brought me back to the NHL, they actually uh, had me as part of a group that was involved in doing this with all the NHL events, in particular growing the All-Star Weekend, but also turning things like the draft into what you see today, uh, which is a made-for-television event, right, with all the teams on the floor, uh, the, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals, the, um, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So virtually anything that wasn't just a regular season game, there was a, there was a small group of, I believe it was five of us that were in charge of these things. And I handled the, uh, the arena operations and uh, the, uh, the hockey part of those events. So it was, it was interesting. I, I, I started in Philadelphia for a short period of time because the game was there that time. And then they moved me to uh, the Montreal office and eventually back to New York. But um, one, one note about that, too, is um, I think that really changed the All-Star game forever. Um, not, I'm not saying it was good or bad. I know the reasons why they did it. But you really can point to that first All-Star weekend in Pittsburgh. Um, I think the score is like something like 12 to 7. But it really stopped being a competitive game at that point. Um, and my opinion, not that it's right or wrong, is that um, the players were told that this was going to be a big party now. And, uh, and, you know, that's what it became. And so I think they really lost the competitive edge. Um, and if you, if, if you look at the scores of years before, the game was, uh, was very competitive. Um, but since, yeah. since 90, um, and they've had to even change the format because of the lack of competitiveness. But since. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It sucks today. now. Yeah, it sucks. it's like we got to jump all over before that. Before it was, no, before it was, I remember as a kid, like Ray Bork and the Akers, you know, the target shooting, Al McKinnis, the hardest shot. It was fun. It was awesome to watch. Now it's like. Guys are dressing up as like Superman to shoot a fucking yeah. shootout. Like, yeah, it's really ridiculous. You know, I, I would agree. I agree with you, Tim, that um, 
I thought the, the skills competition was, you know, as a hockey fan was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everything, everything came from what the NBA did first with their, with their NBA all-star weekend and their dunk competition and their shooting yeah. three point shooting. But I thought the NHL had so much more to offer, you know, with the fastest skater, the hardest shot, the most yeah. accurate shot. I mean, all the different, all the different skills that they were able to display. And unfortunately, um, with time, they've kind of turned that into a variety show. I used to watch, I used to watch the all-star, like you would watch the accuracy shooting to see who was the most accurate shooter in the NHL. Like you believed who won that. Is that why you watched it? So you could see who the most accurate. (laughs) Well, no, but today you see like the fastest skater, but you're like, oh, McDavid's not even in this. Right. So you're just like, you know, whatever. This guy's the least hung over today. That's why he won. (laughs) Listen, that, yeah, exactly. But that whole thing, I, I liked it too. And it's great. You know, you get young kids in the building there. You get all these people watching those contests, which is cool. But the game itself suck and it i don't know when i look at it now it looks like i mean should they even do it i mean it's that ridiculous that like it's It's almost embarrassing yeah it is embarrassing yeah it's just like it's embarrassing to the game yeah i think what's happened um again is it it's become more of a marketing event and um, it, I mean, the whole thing obviously always was for to drive revenue, and it, and it was all driven by marketing. But what they've done now is they've taken, in my opinion, again the the hockey people out of it, and they're they're, they're looking to create things that are not really hockey things, you know. In Vegas, a couple of years ago, they had guys what shooting on top of fountains at the Bellagio Hotel, and in Florida last year, they had guys on the golf course and you know, with, with uh, hockey pucks. And it's just, um, it, it, it's getting farther and farther away from what I really think at least the hockey part of that weekend should be, which is to display how fantastic the skills are in these guys and, you know, how different the game is, especially, you know, when you consider every other, every other major sport, um, you know, that's played with, let's say, an object, a ball, people's feet are on the ground, right? I mean, I mean, pretty much anybody can relate to playing football or baseball or basketball because, you know, your feet are on the ground and your and your hands are actually or your feet are in contact with the object. Right. I mean, you throw a football or a baseball or shoot a basketball with your hands. But in hockey, you know, you can't begin to play the game, never mind at the level that these guys do until you can skate and you can skate at an elite level right on a on a, on a razor sharp blade that's, uh, you know, uh, an eighth of an inch thick on an ice surface. Right. And then yeah. you can't, and then, and then you've got to learn the skills such as, you know, manipulating the puck with a stick, not with your hands or your feet, but with a stick. Um, so yeah, there's so much that goes into it. It's like, and certainly get that part of it. And again, the all-star game, I think it's just gone to shit. And, you know what I want to ask, and it, you you went on from the NHL and you became assistant GM with the Islanders, director of hockey operations. Uh, then you were in Florida. Uh, you'd done work for USA Hockey, North American Hockey League. 
with the Predators from 06 to 2010 and back to the Panthers. Now, all that experience for you, when you look back um, of all the jobs you did in hockey over those years, which do you feel was the most rewarding and most fun for you uh, when you when you take a look at that resume you have and in all the hockey stuff you did? Well, they were all different, and they all were different challenges. Um, and I and I was really fortunate to work with some tremendous people in each place. Um, you know, with the Islanders, in my four plus years there, we had five different ownership groups. Yeah, I mean that challenging. I really learned a lot about how stability and ownership means so much. Um, but, uh, you know, with that organization, I was proud of the people that we were able to, uh, to bring in. I mean, Mike Milbury was the GM for those years. Um, and I don't know if people understand the, uh, the pressures and the obstacles that he had to work with during that time. Yeah. But, um, but that really taught me a lot about uh, about management in hockey. I mean, I often hear people who work in, in hockey, whether they're GMs or assistant GMs or scouts or whatever they might be, and they're always, you know, I drafted this guy or I traded for that guy. Um, it's really a we thing, <laughs> you yeah. know. It, it's not an it, it's not a it's not an I drafted or or I traded. It's someone a, it's pulls a, a trigger. Right. And, and, and so I think, I think what you learned there and part of this had to do with the, the history of that organization and the fact that those guys that were part of that history never gave up on it is that, um, you know, it was, it, it wasn't self-promotion over team devotion, I guess. So I, I yeah. learned a lot there. Um, I had the opportunity again uh, to work with uh, Nashville that was probably my most rewarding, uh, my rewarding uh, stop, just because it was such a new market, uh, a market that really knew nothing about hockey, and uh, and you know to be a part of that team becoming a a, a regular playoff contender, you yeah, know, and see it build up right from from scratch, basically, right? right? Only four years, and and knowing how much that organization has done uh, to build the whole city of Nashville. I mean, for those of you who went to Nashville, I don't know, Tim, if, if you were there, oh, yeah. you know, particularly in those early years, um, it's a lot different now. <laughs> and a lot, to, and a lot uh, has to do with that organization on the corner of Broadway and 4th in, in Nashville. So to be a part of that, to, um, <coughs> to work with the – a GM like David Poyle, who really is, you know, the most stable person that I've had the opportunity to work with in hockey and just recently retired. Yeah. Um, and uh, to be surrounded by uh, one of the most professional athletes, uh, one of the two that I would say the most professional athletes I dealt with in my time, Paul Korea. Um, the other being Zidane Chara with the Islanders when we, when we drafted uh, Zidane. And um, and then of course uh, Barry Trotz, who's now the new GM there. I mean, I learned so much in that organization um, about you know how to treat people, how to treat players, how to treat players with honesty and respect, right? And and what I understood more than anything is uh, and, and 
I know the reason why I always treated players with honesty and respect is I couldn't do what they do. I wasn't able to do it. I wasn't good enough. And so I, I always believe that they deserve that honesty and that respect. Um, and, and, and they wanted that honesty and respect, even if it was the bad news. Um, so that was probably my most rewarding stop. Um, but I, I had, I had some, some great times in Florida as well. Um, Bill Torrey who was a, uh, a mentor for me. I met him when I was young. Well, first worked worked for the NHL, and always sort of uh, took me aside and was always there for me. And and really was the reason I went to the Panthers the first time. Never mind the second time. Um, he was a he was a great mentor for me, and really uh, really was a historian of the game. I mean, he he covered so yeah. many areas, did so many things. Um, he he was terrific. You got any good Mike Keenan stories? You crossed paths with him, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I, uh, I had to listen to your uh, episode a while back when you had him on the episode, and and I I think he uh, I think when he, he said he was that. a nice he was I said yeah. Yeah, everybody everybody <laughs> nice says you're a prick. He said yeah, but I'm a nice prick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I I I mean, as somebody who uh, who played for him, Tim, I think you I think you figure him out after a little while. One of the things I I actually admired about Mike is he really wanted your opinion. Um, and he didn't want you to sit on the fence. He didn't want you to tell him what you, what you thought uh, he wanted to hear. Um, he really wanted you to, you know, to be your own guy. Um, but I got a couple of stories. One, one that was passed along to me that uh, I wasn't present for, and I wasn't even part of the organization, but uh, it was actually Colin Campbell that told me this story way back when um, the year he coached the Rangers and they won the cup, which would have been uh, 93, 94. Um, he was having meetings with the players at the beginning of the season. And uh, he had his one-on-one -on -one meeting with Adam Graves and he asked Adam, what have you ever won? And Adam said, well, I, you know, I won the, uh, the Quebec Peewee tournament and then I won the Air Canada Cup as a midget. <laughs> I played in Oshawa and won the OHL Championship. We won the Memorial Cup. And then in the AHL, I won the Calder Cup with the Adirondack Red Wings. And then my rookie year, I won the Stanley Cup with the Edmonton Oilers. And Mike looked at Adam and said, I mean, lately. And <laughs> Adam went over the desk at him. So, but that, uh, but that was Mike. He knew, uh, he knew how to, to get a stir out of guys. I mean, there's, there was, there were all sorts of stories, but he was, he was very good to the staff. Um, he definitely challenged players. I can remember in Florida when uh, he told uh, Stefan Mateau that who was who a longtime player of his that, you know, played with him in Vancouver and Chicago and brought him to Florida at the end of his career and told uh, Stefan, who was a wonderful guy, that he wasn't good enough to come in the front door anymore. So the next day, Stefan pulls into the garage. He's coming in for practice, and Mike's waiting for him there and tells him, I told you the back door. So then Stefan goes down to the next door, and Mike runs down. He said, no, I'm the back door, and makes him walk all the way around the arena to get in, in the building, you know, those types of things. But And this is the guy that scored, you know, game seven over, right? Like, Mato, yeah. Mato. And he's, yeah. it's crazy. It's like, dude, this is the guy um, reason that you won a cup. Yeah. But, oh, um, man, that's funny. Look, there's, he's been successful. Right. And uh, 
So th- there's there's something to it. So I, I I think you're right, Chris. He's uh he's a prick, but he's a nice prick, right? Yeah, he is. So all your experiences in hockey, you stop back again as a kid in Boston. Bobby all gets you going. You you make your way through the NHL through management, and um, <clears throat> now today you're part of and started uh, a company called Team. 33 uh, hockey operations management program. Now, if you can explain why'd you do this, give us a little overview of, of what team 33 is and um, just who could benefit from team 33 and what it's all about, basically. So team 33 is uh, in, in summary, it's a hockey operations management program that anybody can benefit from. Um, I build National it, Hockey League team. Absolutely. Um, Fans, uh, betters, um, you name it. Um, I actually started to put things together uh, during my career. Um, I like to tell people when I was an assistant general manager in the NHL for several teams, I was the assistant general manager. Nowadays, it seems like they've got five or six of them, right? And um, I was always looking for more efficient ways to do things. And so uh, about three years ago, actually a little bit more than that, during the pandemic, I started to say, let me put all this together and find a more efficient way to run your hockey operation. And uh, my goal was to find something that would help teams, particularly team management, you know, whether that be uh, general managers or, or executive level people in the hockey department with everything they need to do, whether that's scout players, evaluate contracts, uh, decide who to send to the minors and who to recall, you know, what's going to be best for their salary cap, um, you know, who they should trade, what they should trade the player for. Um, all those types of things. I thought that there must be a better way to do that, a more efficient way to do that than the way the NHL has been doing things. And, um, you know, analytics really made its way into hockey not more, a little more than 10 years ago. Um, but there's never really been that connection between analytics and hockey. Um, and I think one of the reasons why is um, – I point to if anyone's ever read the book, but particularly saw the movie Moneyball, there's a scene where the scout talks to Billy Bean and says, you know, who's that math guy in the room? You know, I've been watching games for, you know, 30 years. I know what I see with my eyes. And so my concept was built on taking hockey people and having them put the information in and then let the analytics take over and, and create data on the other side that hockey people can understand and relate to and want to see, as opposed to, you know, a lot of the charts and graphs. And, and again, I mean, a lot of these uh, analysts, are, they're very intelligent people, obviously far more intelligent than I, um, but I think they need to be guided more by the hockey people uh, so that they can produce information that the hockey people want to see. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was in a, in a meeting, I won't tell you what team and, uh, and, you know, the analytics department is telling us that, you know, we need to look at this player over that player because this player has, you know, more puck possession, 
you know, per minute than this guy. And, and I immediately asked them, I said, do you know who Mike Bossy and Brett Hull were as players? Like they couldn't, no offense to either one of them, but uh, they couldn't carry the puck from blue line to blue line. But let me tell you something, that puck wasn't on their stick for a fraction of the second. It was in the net. So I think, again, you need to take, you need to take information that's produced by the people that really know the game and, and do the right things with it. And who knows the game better than people that played it, especially at the highest level, people that have coached it and scouted it and managed it at the highest level. So the other part of this program was to try to find a way to involve in particular former players who are, are looking for something when they, when they leave the game. And I, I think both of you guys would know that all too well. It's, it's, it's not as easy as you think when you, when you finish your career and some sooner than others to, uh, you know, to take the thing you love the most and, and, uh, and been involved in your whole life. And, you know, how do I, how do I get involved now? How do I make a career for myself? So, Team 33, um, you employ uh, former players to go out and scout games, players, uh, teams, and they analyze all that and, and bring that information back to you. And give us an overview of how it works. Say I'm a, a GM. I want Team 33, and I, I want to use this so it can help me. So all of our all of our staff members are former NHL players, coaches, or executives. Um, to give you an example of how we do things, and again, this came from my experience with working with different organizations and being involved at different levels of the sport for years. Um, we do things, uh, I believe, in a more efficient way. Um, the NHL, uh, for all the great things it does, um, they really hang on to the way they do things and have done things for a while. I mean, it, scouting hasn't changed in the NHL in the, you know, in the 30 plus years I've been involved in it. And it probably didn't change much before that. Um, so one example is we've got more staff when it comes to, let's say, scouting. So therefore, an NHL team on average may have three professional scouts in North America and they'll divide up uh, the teams that the, those scouts must cover. So each scout may have, you know, 20 to 25 teams that he's responsible for covering. Um, and over the course of the season with all the travel, uh, all the expense, they may see those teams six, seven, eight teams times at the most. Um, I've got over 20 professional scouts on my staff. Uh, each one's responsible for anywhere from two to four teams. And my scouts will see the teams that are responsible play 30, 35 times a year. So they're getting five, you know, sometimes six times the information. Um, they're, not, uh, they're not showing up to a game and missing a player or a team because uh, somebody's suspended or injured. Um, the other thing is my guys don't work for one of these NHL teams. They work for team 33, so they're not biased. And I think both of you guys know of being in organizations, it's just natural that there's bias, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a player was uh, drafted from a particular scouts area. Um, you know, we all know that there's those players that uh, can do nothing wrong and, 
there's other players who can do nothing right, you know, and, and um, so, so the, the fact that my guys are non-biased, uh, I think really uh, adds to it. A uh, couple other factors. We actually scout uh, on a different rating system where your, where your typical NHL team will, will rate a guy on his attributes like skating or hockey sense or uh, playmaking or physicality. You know, they'll rate them on a one to five scale or some on a one to 10 scale. Um, we rate our guys on, on a uh, moving scale, but uh, it could be anywhere from a 50-point scale to a 150-point scale. An example of why I believe that's better is that you can send a, a scout out, for instance, to watch Connor McDavid play, uh, play and you can watch uh, Austin Matthews play. And you can ask them to rate their skating one to five, and the 100 scouts are going to come back and give them a five. But if you're rating their skating on 150 points, chances are those scouts aren't all going to come back and give them a 150 with a larger scale. Um, so that's, that's uh, one factor. The other thing is the game always changes. You know, in the 70s, you had a uh, – you had teams like the Philadelphia Flyers, right? The big bad Bruins. I mean, it was it was physical. It was it was it was hard out there, and uh, it, you know that was a real big important part of the game. In the late '90s, you know, Jacques Lemaire took advantage of of uh, the standardization of rinks and things like that, and was able to imply the trap. And all of a sudden, defensive ability and became uh, at a premium. And, and now we're seeing more goals scored. It's much more wide open. It's not as physical. So the, what this program does is it actually evaluates what skills are more important than others at this time in the game, and it values them more. So you don't rate a player's physicality uh, on the same scale that you rate his you know, skating or his hockey sense. And as the game changes, and certain attributes become more or less important, the value of those ratings will change as well. So the, the scale will float with, with the importance of those. So it, it adapts, the program is adaptable to the game and the way the game's played. Um, I, would, uh, I would say that the NHL, for the most part, still scouts the way it was scouting 30 years ago. So, yeah, well, the, the, how can teams use it? Just uh, give us some real use examples. Like, how can a team use this program? So, and again, in a nutshell, what is it? It's, in a nutshell, yeah. what is it? How can teams right. use it? And can you give us some real use examples? Sure. So um, this, this program, a team can use it. In particular, like the general manager could use it to do everything that he or eventually she needs to do in their job. So we have uh, four basic screens. One is uh, what I call a whiteboard, where you can pull up instantly information on any player who's a professional player in the world, uh, any player also who's on an NHL reserve list but has not signed a pro contract yet. Maybe they're, they're drafted but still playing in college or or junior or whatever. Um, and when you pull up that player's information, you get a rating that's created by our algorithm. Uh, that rating's created from all the information we gather from their contract information, their off ice uh, history, 
um, their transactional history, uh, their scouting reports and their performance, um, anything that has to do with that particular player um, goes into a rating system that we have. And then also we have all the players' stats, you know, typically going back to, you know, midget or, uh, or high school or prep school, um, junior for sure um, on that player. We also can manipulate those stats and look at different things. Uh, we also have video and scouting reports from the games that my scouts cover. So if, if my scout covers a player and writes a report on them, that player that reports visible as well as the uh, the video from that game. Um, we also uh, we use Instat, which for those who aren't familiar, that you can actually break down a player's video um, and see whatever you want to see for that player from particular games or from a season, uh, whether that's uh, his accurate passes or his breakouts or his you know his penalties or his hits, whatever it happens to be. So that's that's the first screen. Um, and you can compare and contrast players. Um, we also have a screen which is called the, uh, the War Room. And that, with that screen, you're able to uh, propose transactions, whether that be making a trade with another organization, uh, deciding who to, uh, to uh, loan to the miners and who to recall in his place. Maybe it's uh, you know, at this time of year. Uh, or what just passed, uh, making that last cut, you know, who's going to stay on the team, who's going to keep the, on the team. You can actually, you can actually propose that, and the, the um, program will give you the information instantly, not only you know, what you're going to gain or what you're going to lose by that transaction, but how it's going to affect your, your payroll and your salary cap um, and the other types of things uh, that it will do intangibly with your team, whether it be leadership uh, and those types of uh, things that are important as well. Um, we also have what I, what I call the home shopping network for players. Um, but it's, uh, it's an opportunity for, um, if you're looking for a particular type of player, uh, you can do a search and you can put in what you're looking for. I'm looking for a goal scorer. I'm looking for a, a power play quarterback or a backup goalie. You can put in, you know, he has to uh, shoot left or right, has to be so big, uh, he, he can't make more than so much money, a million and a half or whatever it happens to be. Um, if, it's a, if it's a minor league player that you're looking for, maybe he, he cannot be a, a veteran so that he, uh, you know, fits under the development rule in the American Hockey League. Whatever that criteria is, you can put that in and it will instantly give you the list of players that are available that fit your criteria of what you're looking for, as well as all that information that we spoke about, you know, just a few minutes ago, whether it's video, scouting reports, statistics, uh, you know, transactional history and so on and so forth. Um, and then so you, you, you could put in a guy like with attributes, say my attributes. Yeah. What's Chris's rating? Well, just say my attributes. Say you put them in there today. All right. 110. You're like a 110, Chris. Uh, I could probably be a zero. (laughs) Um, No. Um, But say you put my attributes in and my history in there. And you want to trade me to another team and get a similar player in return, just say. Mm -hmm. Um, Who would that player be maybe today? I don't know. So you you, could. Would you have an idea of that? 
Just um, well, I don't have the program in front of me, but Reeves. Uh, yeah. Reeves. I was gonna say Ryan Reeves <laughs> is the first guy that comes to mind. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but um, I'm better player than no, him. Come on. Yeah, no, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Reeves never scored a penalty shot goal. Yeah. You he know, never had on. 20 goals in a season. Yeah. Come on. But you um, but you bring up a good point though, Chris. When you say that, right? Like, who would you who would you compare to today? Um, again, the games played so much differently. So, you know, the, the so Tim Tom would Wilson. be a better. You're like a Tom Wilson. No, yeah, thank I'm you. like a Richard Park. Oh, he doesn't play anymore. <laughs> no, but, Richard. What I mean, Why but, Richard Park? I don't know. Is this, is this based on like appearance? Look, no, okay, anyways. <laughs> Not <what>, Brad Park. <laughs> but what you, what you bring to a team, right, was, in my opinion, right now, without looking at the program, was probably valued a lot more in the time you played than it would be valued today. And so it, 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 it's, hard to, it's hard to compare. We all know it's hard to compare errors, right? Who's the greatest player of all time in any sport and that type of thing because the game changes. And as yeah. I said before, um, we as in the hockey community haven't changed the way we look at the game. The game's changed. We haven't changed the way we look at it. The other thing you can do with this program too is you can negotiate a contract or you can prepare for salary arbitration. So using that information that we gather, you're able so to- So you have all the comparatives and- Right, and we can break that down. Uh, we can you know, we can say, okay, we, we wanna find a player that's uh, within a certain number of years of this player's age, experience, games played is, plus minus or goals scored or whatever the statistical criteria might be to find, to find that comparable group of players and we'll know what their salary information is, their salary history is. And so it should tell us where this player fits and where this player should go salary-wise. So again, so the program will help you do anything, anything you want to do as a manager. It's just, so the only thing that's probably impossible to get, I guess, is like you can have all the value you want in a player, but like if if everybody hates him on the team, like the character of a person, you got to that it doesn't tell you that, right? Well, it, it it doesn't tell you that unless it's something that our scouts know or find out. Um, then it will tell you that in their profile. I mean, we we will comment on those types of things. Um, but it's, but it's stuff that we do know about players, um, that is factored into the overall score that the player gets. We have, we have what we call a team 33 value. So everybody has this value on a scale of 993 points and everything the player does on or off the ice contributes to that value. And, um, you know, an interesting point too is, is, um, things that happen off the ice, you know, that maybe some people frown upon shouldn't necessarily be frowned upon. Like I, I've always believed when you build teams, you need good character, but you also need characters. Yeah. Right? You need no both. question. And, sure. and so, you know, I've, I've signed players in the past who I knew offered, you know, offered some of that, I'll call it comic relief off the ice. Cause you really need that in the course of a long season, particularly yeah. in the NHL. Yeah, for sure you do. The locker room, that's important in the locker room. I hear that all the time. People say, oh, he's good in the locker room. Uh, I want a guy that's good on the ice. No, uh, the people don't understand how important it is. Now, 
it's 993 points on the rating. Why is it 993 and not 1,000? Well, we, we actually, again, we created, a, we created these algorithms and these formulas, and that's just the, the point system that comes out. I mean, everything's taken into account where, you know, how this player made his way to the NHL or the AHL or the ECHL, wherever they came from, right? Were they drafted? Were they drafted high? So it's, um, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to just creating a perfect number. And it's, uh, and it's also because we don't, again, we don't value everything on 10 point scale or a five point scale or a yeah. hundred point scale, you know, depending on what's important in the game today, that is given more weight and more value. So the, the final Does that value change, does it change as the season's going? Like if a guy gets hot, if he's in a slump. A player's individual, yes, yeah. So we'll we'll actually on the player's profile, we'll actually uh, designate whether the player is playing well lately. He'll have a green arrow, you know, it says he's trending up, playing poorly recently. So if I'm making a trade for a guy, yeah, and I pop that in, and he comes, (laughs) yeah, and and he's on he's on the upward trend or downward trend, it can tell me, oh, well, should I stay away? Should I? and then you look at everything, age, his last 10 games. It's so much involved in it. God, it's like a just a, a wealth of information, Team 33. Um, can you, um, Mike, give us some current players, uh, their ratings, to give us an idea? Like, let's say um, uh, Austin Matthews as opposed to a, um, I don't know. Uh, I can give you. Or you idea. want like the Reeves and Matthew, like that, like that kind yeah. of difference? Right. So, like, I don't have the. I don't have. Obviously, I don't have the program in front of me. But I can tell you that uh, 993 would be a perfect NHL player. And although we've all known guys that think they are 993s, there, there are, there is no such thing. I was a um, 992. Yeah. <laughs> Out of 10,000. The. 10, uh, the top players in the NHL are scoring somewhere between 890 and 910. Uh, you know, so that's your Connor McDavid's, uh, your Kale McCars, those type of players. Um, the um, the uh, first line type players or the starting goalie, the top pair defensemen, their scores are typically uh, somewhere between uh, 500 and 700. And then uh, a role player in the NHL, like a, a Ryan Reeves, for instance, he's typically going to score between 150 and, uh, and 175. So it's not, it's not a static number. It's not like, you know, you know, 100 to 200 is this or 200 to 300. No, it's awesome. Like for fans, like they, they kind of make it more clear. It's like if you're in the middle of a season and you need like, you want someone like a Tom Wilson, but he's not available, this thing is going to give you the next, 15 best Tom Wilson alternates, right. right? Like that's, that's pretty cool. Right. Or maybe, uh, maybe you can't fit uh, that guy in your lineup because he makes too much money. I mean, the, the, look, the business. So many variables, right? Yeah. When the you're... business of hockey and every sport, but it's become so much more complicated. Um, it's not trading bubblegum cards anymore, right? Like it's not, you know, I need a, I'll trade you this left wing for that right wing. It's it's really I mean you've got to consider their salary not only for this year but for next year you got to consider their salary cap um, you got to consider you know 
the other things that's going to happen not on the ice. What's this guy going to do to my room? Is it going to be positive or negative, right? What's, you know, what's this guy's track record off the ice? Can we handle that? Can we, can we deal with those things? Um, you know, the sport's just so much more complicated. It really is a business. And I can remember, not to go back now, but, you know, when I, uh, when I started at the NHL, the collective bargaining agreement, I want to say, was less than 200 pages long. Um, within 10 years, it was about 1,600 pages, and now it's even bigger than that. You know, I mean, things, things constantly change and evolve, and the business and the sport has become more complicated. So uh, I'm a player today. I'm 33 years old. I go on Team 33 site. I look myself up, and my number is around 75. Should I retire? Uh, <laughs> it just says retire. <laughs> yeah, well, 75. Well, what's a, say what's the lowest number for an NHL guy today? Like an what's NHL a number, Well, a lowest NHL guy is going to probably score somewhere in the in the 50 range. Really? Wow. Yeah, and then uh, and we've got they, guys. So they must suck. That's a fourth yeah. liner so who makes got, shit money. We rate right? guys. We rate guys as uh, you know career minor leaguer uh, or uh, or um, a project player. Um, Call up guy. Yeah, I was oh, advised well. to retire by this robot. Basically, <laughs> this robot told me to retire. You know, right? Um, but the interesting thing, though, Tim, you you can relate to this as well because of the, the time you played uh, outside the country or outside North America is um, we get we get interest from teams in the DEL, the KEHL. In fact, I spoke to uh, yesterday. I just spoke with uh, Alex Kovalev, who's uh, who's coaching in at Spartak in the KHL. Um, they don't have easy access. To player information over here um so this is particularly interesting to them right and they're not always looking for the nhl star players because they're not going to get those guys that are that are making the big money and are in pretty good shape here but they're looking for the best players they can get and and fit in you know that will fit in you know money wise over there and that are maybe like you were saying tim you're looking at your you're looking at yourself and you're saying like what should i do here maybe it's time uh Instead of being a you know a career AHL player here to make the jump over there and make some real money before my my career is over, I'm no joke. I was this is I'm not even making this up. During the lockout when I was over in Russia, we were looking for guys from they were. I walked into the lobby and like the GM, the co- all the staff was behind the computer and they were just on hockey DB. That's what they were on, just right. trying to yeah. And they're like, let's and I was just that's what they were going off of. So you're yeah. right that you know they definitely don't have the access. So I, I, another example, I spoke to Marcel Gotch, another one of my former players here who's, who's working in the DEL. And he said pretty much what you said. He said, they need a player. You know what they do? They make 50 phone calls over here. A lot of times they're calling agents. And they're like, I need a guy that can quarterback my power play. And the agents, I got a guy for you, right? I got a guy. <laughs> yeah, he's so biased. Yeah, I got a guy. My buddies, cousins. I'm sure, yeah, I'm, sure, like, I'm sure you saw some of those guys show up in your locker room, right, Tim? And, so and, is this something you think you could sell over there to, to that league? Or do you, oh, are absolutely. they looking? Yeah, it, 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 will work, uh, it, it will work in any league. Um, and we're actually I'm working with uh, Teddy Donato and Jimmy Tortorella at Harvard. Uh, yeah. he's John Tortorella's uh, brother. They're the coaches yeah. at Harvard, but I'm, I'm working with them 
uh, to develop this now for uh, at the amateur level, which would be college and junior hockey. Um, and, um, you know, it could be used for teams anywhere in the world. But uh, more importantly, it could be used for media. I've had I've, I've many media folks that reach out to me and ask me, you know, especially when there's a big trade. Um, we had uh, the Carlson trade that just happened this summer. Last year, in November, we had the Eichel trade to Vegas. And, uh, you know, it could be used uh, It could be used on television to, to analyze. How about, fantasy, uh, how about fantasy hockey and sports betting? Uh, what – Team, what value could Team Thirty Three bring to say the the betting community, right? Fantasy oh, hockey. Man. Yeah, great right? minds think alike. Great minds think alike, Chris. We're uh, that's that's really where we've pivoted towards here. Um, it um, it allows the fan, you know, to basically be an NHL GM and have access to real information from professional. NHL experienced or professional NHL experienced people um, to do anything they want with it, whether it's to follow their favorite team and, 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 you know, see if they could figure out what they should be doing or what kind of trade they could be making or, or, you know, run their fantasy team um, and decide, you know, who they should acquire, who they should dress and or play and who they should not play. I love um, the concept. I think it's I awesome. And you can have, certainly apply it um, in those areas. I just well, think what have it, been some reasons at the moment that maybe they, no one, that someone doesn't want to use it? Well, uh, there, there, is, there are no reasons. Um, you know, the, the product was just developed a little over two years ago. Um, I spent one full year with our staff um, gathering data, scouting games, having meetings, and, and, and putting the program together. Last year was the first year we launched it for use. Uh, we had two teams, the Montreal Canadiens and Anaheim Ducks that used it. And now we're, uh, now we're expanding our program. So we're actually just beginning to, uh, to work with uh, some folks to develop a web-based program that'll be a subscription service that anyone can subscribe to and use for whatever they want to use it for, whether it's fantasy sports or or just to have more knowledge about what's going on with their favorite team or within the league and, and, and have that information. All right. We talk about the NHL and how they do things and they're, you know, dinosaurs in a lot of ways, they, they're stuck in their ways. Um, do, do you think some teams may not trust the software thinking like, shit, we know better. I hired these scouts. I you think you're going to run into some of that. When you're trying to sell this program to NHL teams, I've showed it to most NHL clubs thus far. Um, I've had very how little many of, clubs use it? Right now, two. Uh, we're we're expecting that we'll probably add three or four this year, in our second year, and then it, it'll it'll go from there. Um, I don't uh, I don't think that we've got any more than the average skepticism. Um, I don't think uh, because of the quality of the staff we have. I mean, the, the people that the people that work for us um, are all, you know, NHL experienced people. They're known. Um, so, they, you know, the, the type of work they do is, is quality work, at least NHL quality work. So that's not an issue. Um, I do think that some teams initially were threatened that, you know, 
maybe my owner sees this, he'll make me cut my staff, right? And save money. Um, but that's not the purpose of this. The, the purpose is, is, is more information, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's more data. It's more efficiency. Um, maybe it's something to, uh, to use in conjunction with, uh, with your staff to challenge them. You know, why do you like this player and they don't, right? Like, like yeah. have that discussion. But what it does, it saves so much time. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. When, it, when most NHL teams, if not all, are looking to acquire a player, you know, particularly when there's a deadline coming up, like the trade deadline, they're having long meetings with their staff and going over, you know, reserve lists of teams player by player. Yeah. And they're wasting so much time because you can pull up in two seconds, this program, they could, you know, the GM can say to his staff, all right, we need a right-handed shot to run our power play. And we need, we need some toughness for our AHL team. And I really need a guy that can win face-offs, you know, and, and they can have that list in seconds. And then he can assign his guys like, all right, these are the six guys we're really going to look at for the next week before the deadline. You, you know, you concentrate on this guy and that guy and come back and let's see. The other thing it does is in a pinch, and I've been a part of this situation, um, at deadlines, whether it be the draft table or the trade deadline, things are moving fast. You get a phone call five minutes before the deadline from a team, and they offer you a player for another player, and you go to your scouts, you know, what do you think about this guy skating? And the other guy, do you think he's tough enough? And, oh, by the way, you know, go pull his contract, and how's that going to affect our salary cap? And in the meantime, the team calls back and says, oh, we want, we want a third-round pick too, right? And the GM's under time pressure, and he's like, just, just do it, right? Just do it. And I've seen so many deals get made where they really, you know, they felt the time pressure and, and made a deal without really knowing what they've done. It so, does kind of eliminate it. I could be wrong, but like as a – I don't know how to say this. Like as a coach – it kind of eliminates the coach's like favorite. You know what I mean? Like a coach could be like playing a certain guy or doesn't like a certain guy. And, you know, he's based that off of like how he feels about someone. Now it's just like, Hey, it doesn't matter what you fucking feel. Like, here's this, here's the analytics. Like this guy needs to play more. Does that make yeah, sense? I could not agree more. And it's definitely one of the things that I took into a lot of consideration when, when building this program, you know, as an assistant GM, most uh, most assistant GMs, one of their primary responsibilities is overseeing the minor league affiliates and and even the uh, the the drafted but unsigned players, the prospects. And I cannot tell you how many times after a game, whether it's because of injury or you're trying to change the lineup, that there's a discussion of you know we need to call somebody up, right? Uh, and who are we going to send down? And who are we going to call up in the player's place? And more often than not, it ends up with a phone call to some minor league coach who's on a bus at midnight, and it's a, who's been playing well, right? Or, or it's the same couple of people making the call, I want this guy, or call that guy up. And meanwhile, you know, you've been in these locker rooms, right? You just, you just had a good weekend, you scored a few goals, you, you got no fight, your team won both games. And they're calling up the, the guy two stalls over again, you know, and you sit there as a, as a player in the organization and you're like, you know, they don't care about me. Right. They're not, they're not, they don't, they don't even think about me. I'm not going to get called up. And it's, it's, it's damaging. 
to, uh, to, the, to the morale of the organization and to development. So Team 33, pretty user-friendly. So for the hockey fanatic who, who, who wants to use this because he's in, you know, a fantasy league, it's pretty user-friendly, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you showed it to me. I, I, it is user-friendly. Just pretty uh, simple once you get in and understand the war room and the, the, the whiteboard. Uh, it's pretty simple, right? Yes, uh, very easy. Four simple screens. Um, again, we're developing the web-based program. It should be out in a couple of months. Um, at this time, you know, the best thing I could tell people is just is go to our Twitter or, our, I guess it's called X now, X account uh, at Team Thirty Three Hockey, and follow us. We'll put information up there and let you know when we're we're going to be available to the public. So, Mike. Um... Looking at uh, this program for hockey, and it's great. So, so I, and I hope you have success with it. I hope it takes off. I hope every team in the league gets it. Could you apply this to other sports? Could you do this in football? Could you do it in ba- baseball? A lot of analytics. So probably, fo- say football, basketball. Could you could you do s- similar thing? Absolutely. I mean, we we are thinking that way. Um, of course, you know, we would have to employ the experts from those, from those different sports, whether they be, um, you know, former scouts or players, general managers and, and whatnot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's down the road. We're hoping to do it right now. We're, we're trying to perfect this for hockey. And um, again, I mean, you allude to it, Chris, this isn't really me. This is, this is our whole team. I mean, this is, yeah. This is a team of experienced people. I mean, I, I, I could start naming names, but I'd leave somebody out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, your listeners will, will know these people, you know, by name. Yeah. They've, they've played in the league. They've coached in the league. They've managed in the league. I've got a great advisory board made up of all NHL former general managers um, who all believe in the product. And, um, you know, it's going to, it's going to How about grow. that advisory board? Uh, who's on that advisory board? Give us an idea. That, uh, well, one of your favorites. Who you can tap into. Uh, yeah, one of your favorites, Serge Savard, is on the advisory board. Big Serge, um, yep. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Meehan, former uh, GM, longtime GM, and chairman of the GM committee for the NHL, but uh, longtime GM uh, for the Buffalo Sabres. Um, we've got uh, yep. Neil Smith, former NHL GM with the Rangers. Uh, Peter Mahovlich, um, Jack Ferreira, former GM with the, yep. the Sharks, as well as the Ducks. Um, so we, we've got we've got some real experienced people on the advisory board as well. On your point system nine nine three, all right. In the history of hockey, give us an idea if you can off the top of your head, who would the three highest rated players be? Um, for me, a top of my head. I would probably say the three highest players would be Bobby Orr. Um, B.O. Rocket Richard. Wow. It would be very close between Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. And I'll throw a goaltender in there, um, and it would be probably... I'll throw two, Patrick Warr and Martin Brodeur. Wow. I would say those would, those would probably be the five or six highest scoring players. 
Oh. Understanding that, you know, there are some terrific players now, no doubt. No, but you're a Habs players. fan. There's no bias there with Rocket and Patrick, right? <laughs> no, I, I think um, <laughs> knowing the way our program works, um, Rocket brought so many other intangibles. Right? Yeah. You know. Um, Tough. Sure. Leadership. Good yeah. in the room. Right? Right. Rocket you know. was incredible. And, and, yeah, and that's why, um, and and that's why I, I think, not obviously because he's he's one of our favorites, Chris, but I think Bobby Orr brings a lot of those elements as well. Yeah, you know, the toughness, the leadership, the off ice presence, all that type of stuff that that counts and matters. You know, right. talk, I know we so, talk off the topic, but uh, again, I mean, there's so many things that have changed that aren't necessarily good or bad, but one of the things that I really, I really miss is the way teams travel now. And what I mean by that is, you know, this, it's, it's been 30 years almost now for this, but charter aircrafts, not staying in towns after games, uh, NHL players don't have roommates. Uh, bonding, bonding, yeah, bonding. That really creates a team, right? Is is missing, and it's and, and and it's all the stuff that I'm sure both of you know. You still have, fortunately, you still have in your life because we all need these people for the rest of our lives, right? When we're when we're down or when we can help somebody else that's down, like those are all developed, you know, with the time we spend with them. But I'll tell you a quick story. I was with uh, Nashville. I was in, in the box one night at a game talking with David Boyle. It was early in the year, and he said, boy, we have no chemistry out there with our team. And he's like, what's the problem? And I looked at David, and I said, they don't know each other. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, think about it. We go on, we go on the road. The players drive their cars on the tarmac. As soon as they get out of the car, they, they put the headphones on, and they got the phone out. They get on the plane and, you know, they're all on their iPads or their phones or headphones on. They get off the plane. The phones go on on again. They get on the bus to go to the hotel and they get their own hotel room. And, uh, you know, they don't they don't spend the time away from the from the ice together like they did back in the day. And I think that that's real important. Um, I, I, I know why it was negotiated, uh, you know, back in the 90s as part of the collective bargaining agreement. But um, but I think those things are missing, and those are some of the things we try to capture when we look at, you know, the complete picture with Team Thirty Three. Well, I don't know if you said this, but I was just thinking like this. Obviously, it's been really portrayed as like you know with the GMs and all this stuff that could help out. But like, is this kind of benefits the player? Will the player have access to this? I mean, once we you know once we have a a web based program, a player could subscribe to it as well. Well, I was just thinking, like you know, I mean, I it's it's such a very specific rating and it, it all details of the game. I mean, you could as a player, like not every player is being talked to, or you know, you know, players got to get patted on the back and be, you know, this thing can really kind of, you know, it could go good and bad, but in a good good way. Like a player, like myself, I could look at it and be like, why am I my rating like this? And then I can see, you know, what I'm actually turning the puck over three times a game right so i'm lying to myself i think i think i'm playing well 
or you get on the plane, or you get on the plane, and all every player is like looking at their rating on the phone. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, they do it with uh, they do it with these uh, uh, games now, right? I mean, uh, you hear about the NFL players; yeah. they 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 they're all complaining about their Madden rating, right, and things like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. but, but what you're saying, Tim, makes a lot of sense. Like, if I'm a player. I want honesty, like I talked to about before, and they don't always get it. Um, and if it's coming from an unbiased source, you know, professional experienced people, right, that are watching them play and watching the way they act, then why wouldn't you use it in a positive way, right? Why wouldn't you take that, that criticism or the accolades and say, okay, this is, this is what they say, so this is what I need to work on. Because you're right, they're not always getting the information. It's amazing. Um, you know, there are a lot of folks that don't like confrontation. And confrontation, is a, it's not a negative thing, right? It's, it, it needs to be a positive thing and a, and a necessary thing, right? It's, uh, you know, it's a good thing. Just like, you know, the people, are, but there's so many people that, you know, we've all been in those situations, right? Where somebody just sugarcoats something or they don't want to give you the truth. Or, I mean, I've been in situations with teams where they didn't want to go tell the guy that he was getting sent to the minors. So, you know what happened? Hey, Mike, go tell him he's getting sent to the minors, right? And I was yeah. the guy in there yeah, and stuff. Yeah. You had and to be I, the asshole. Yeah, but I learned I learned from that that right. I mean, you guys experienced it at one point in your career. Maybe it's you know, you know, when the career is over. Like you know, like uh, I, I heard the story that Ryan Walter was telling you when uh, when Serge has him for coffee and says yeah. like, oh, would you like to be a scout?" <laughs> you know? um, yeah. But, no, I want to play. See you later. But you, but you really you really need it. You need the, the truth. You need the honesty. And if it can come from an unbiased source, maybe you can use that and, and make the right decision for yourself, right? I mean, I, I made the decision as a sophomore in college that, that I wasn't going to break into a lineup with uh, Kevin Stevens and Craig Gianni and Bobby Sweeney as the top line. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not that way for everybody. And I think there are more guys that want that honesty than, uh, than what they're getting, which then is don't. The uh, listen, before we wrap up here, one last one. I'm going to ask you, if you're starting an NHL team, okay, a new expansion team, and you're starting from scratch, Mike Santos, who's your GM, who's your coach, and who's on the wish list for ownership? Start um, with ownership. Ownership, um, Jeff Vinnick. Okay. Would be, would I think, you know, I had a home in the Tampa area for years and I looked at the way that organization floundered, you know, in and out. And I also understand how important ownership is in the big picture. And this is a guy that came in, he put his money into the community as well as the organization. He hired good people, uh, initially Steve Eiserman and then Julian Breezebaugh. Yeah. GM. And so they, good owner. We got the owner. Who's the yeah. GM and the coach? Um, the GM. That's a, that's a little tougher one for me, but um, I'm going to go old school on this. Lou Lamarillo. Whoa. 
Good one. Good I one. don't. I don't believe. I mean, he's one guy. If I have a regret in my management career in the NHL, he's one guy I wish I had the opportunity to work for. Yeah. I think he's ultimately fair. He he does really care about his players. Um, he doesn't doesn't do it out in the open. You know, everything stays yeah. behind closed doors with the family. And um, and he understands what's important. More importantly, he teaches his players what's important. And what I mean by that is, you know, for years, everybody used to give him the whole thing about, you know, no long hair and no this and no that. But let me tell you, what he really did was he treated them the right way. They always stayed at the best hotels. They traveled well. He took all the excuses away and let them concentrate on hockey. And if there was any other reason for them not to be able to concentrate on hockey, whether it was a family or a personal issue, he was right there for them. And I know that. Yeah, Lou's awesome. He's a good man, good management guy. There's no question. Good person. Um, So he'd be my GM and my coach. um, Mike Babcock. I'm going (laughs) to... No, he's got a uh, negative nine three three rating. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take two coaches if you don't mind, okay? Okay, one can be the assistant. Okay, so I'm gonna take both guys that I worked with, John Cooper. Love John Cooper. And I I worked with John when I was the commissioner of the North American Hockey League, and. Um, and, the, and, and neither one of these guys played in the NHL. And the other guy is Greg Cronin. Boy, also. These are guys, to me, they're, they're students of the game, but they're students of people and players. They yeah. really understand players and what makes them tick. They're honest to a fault with these guys. And, um, and they work like the Dickens. And so yeah. that, those, those would be my two coaches. Good, great choices. Great choices for sure. I'm sure those guys with Lou at the helm could um, could um, take an organization and get it going in the right direction. No question about it. Listen, Mike Santos, I appreciate your time today. Uh, a lot of fun learning about Team 33. And I wish you nothing but success uh, moving forward with that. I hope this thing takes off for you and you get where you want to go. Thank you guys. And we're going to, we're going to give each of you uh, access to the program so you can use it and, uh, and give us your feedback and let us, oh, yeah. let us know what we can do to make it better and have some fun with it. That's awesome. Really appreciate that. That's cool. Thanks so much. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks Mike. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.